I got the horse right here, the name is Paul Revere, and here's a guy that says if the weather is clear, can do, can do. This is Bill Duncliffe welcoming you back to another edition of Can Do, the podcast about all things horse racing. Some history, some handicapping, and some humor. Before we get going, I want to share some feedback about our initial podcast from executive producer, the lovely Elizabeth. No, not that lovely Elizabeth. Her and her inamorata, Randy Macho Man Savage, are both no longer with us. Still with me, unaccountably, however, is the real lovely Elizabeth, my bride of more than, well, it's been a lot of years. Let's just put it that way. Anyway, uh, and I want you to mention some finger quotes here. At the suggestion of the lovely Elizabeth, we are reversing the order of our closing segments. So after our guest interview, we will have our big score story, and we will close with our guest handicapper segment. That will indeed be our preferred order of business going forward. When the lovely Elizabeth speaks, I listen. Now, let's get on to today's show. Let me welcome to the podcast, Natalie Turner, Marketing Director at Belterra Park on the beautiful Ohio River in Cincinnati, Ohio. Natalie, thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. And Marketing Coordinator, I think my director would have a fit if he heard this and saw me claiming another title. But yeah, like, Marketing Coordinator. I like to hand out promotions. I do that. That's part of what I do. Actually. There we go. So, um, well, I'll tell my boss you recommend me. <laughs> so how long have you been at Belterra? Uh, I counted it up yesterday. I've been here about six months. Okay. And you had a background in racing prior to joining Belterra. Tell us about what you did. I did. I was a jockey for six years. I exercised, rode for about two years before that. And then even before that, I started with an internship in racing at Turfway Park because my family is not in horse racing. And I knew nothing about it other than I wanted to be a jockey. So 10 years ago, I started on that train. So that's that's interesting. Your family was not in horse racing because many times, of course, you find uh, horse racing is a familial pursuit. Um, did you have some difficulty in persuading your parents to let you hop on the back of 1,200-pound animals and ride them around at 35 miles an hour? You know what? I think because they didn't know, it was a little bit easier. They just saw the derby on TV and... They saw the local racetrack, so they're like, that'd be cool to let my daughter do. Uh, they weren't expecting the phone calls that they get when it's uh, Natalie's in the hospital. You're going to have to come down because, you know, she fell, a horse flipped on her and all that fun stuff. So I think for that part, it was good that they didn't know what they were agreeing to help me out with. So less was more, basically. Yes, for that part it was. So, uh, you know, obviously in our sport, um, the ratio of male to female jockeys is, is pretty you know, high, the percentages are obviously tipped pretty high in favor of the male jockeys. What particular challenges did you face as a female jockey, Natalie? Yeah, just like you mentioned, I mean, it's very, very one-sided, I would say. Most of the times, I'd be the only girl in the female room, which I like it that way, because then I can spread all my stuff out and kind of do my own thing, but it is, it's just, you're kind of alone. I mean, you're in there all day alone unless you want to go hang out with the guys, but that's like hanging out in the guy locker room, and that's just not something I want to do all day. And it just kind of, I noticed it came to a point for me where I was like, do I want to keep traveling every three to six months and try and make relationships work like that? What if I want to have a family? I'm getting older. Like, is this a sustainable type of life for me? And it got to the point where it wasn't just being a female. If you want to, it's not like you can take maternity leave and come back and you have the same job that you left if you had an office job. 
So it just kind of comes down to, I feel like, do you want to have a family or do you want to be a jockey? And there are some women that have both and props to them because I don't know how they do it. I wouldn't, I don't know how they sleep. I don't know how they find babysitters. That's just, for me, it came down to, do you want to try and have a personal life or a career? And the career wasn't going anywhere stellar, I didn't think. So it just kind of comes down to, you have to make that choice of what do you want? And Rosie was lucky enough to get both. She got a successful career and now she's got a great family but that's the one percentile I think of female riders the rest of us are forced to choose yeah yeah I think you know you you raised a good point about the itinerant nature of the business too you know tracks and circuits are open for three four months at a time um, so mm-hmm. you're picking up and moving constantly and uh, it's a very good point too about the isolation of the you know, and, and I never thought about this as a little bit of an outsider, the female jockey room versus the male jockey room, right? I mean, you, um, I'm sure many times you were there by yourself, and that's 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 got to be tough as well, I would think. It is. It just gets boring. It's, the guys all have, you know, their fun locker room, and they can have, like, guy time, but when you're the only girl jockey in there, I don't want to go have guy time and talk about sports and all that stuff. It's hard to be a girl, for lack of better words. Well, and still race ride. And you can't play ping pong against yourself either, I guess, in the jockey, in the field. No. Right, yeah. So what was your best jockey experience? You know, I know you, you did a good job underscoring the difficulties, but what was your best experience in your time as a jockey? I had many of them. I got real, real lucky because I went through uh, Chris McCarran's jockey school. So when they contacted him for students to go ride overseas, and I was able to go to Dubai multiple times. They sent me to France, Holland, Sweden. I rode in Oman. These, they sent me all over the world and paid for almost everything. It was just an amazing experience to have so young and just get to see how racing is in other countries. It was just, I can't thank them enough for all those great experiences. Oh, that's, that's fascinating. Now, how, how did you find racing differing in other countries versus the U.S.? Obviously, there's the turf versus dirt thing, but, but what else did you see mm-hmm. in other countries that was different from the U.S. experience? I would always, well, the first time I went over to Dubai, I came back and people asked me that. And the first thing I said was, over there, it's considered more of a sport. I mean, it's a sport here, but I feel like it's more of a business maybe here um, with the mass production of training and all of that, but over there they treat it like a luxury, like it was back in the old days. You get dressed, you go to the races, and it's an event. It's not just Monday through Friday, what's the purse, what am I running for? Over there it's more royal almost, I would say, and mm. prestigious. Oh, fascinating. That's, that's really interesting. So mm-hmm. now in, in your role as marketing coordinator, because I want to make sure to hold back on that promotion. Um, <laughs> I know, not yet, not yet. <laughs> How does your knowledge of the sport growing up in it, you know, from the, you know, from the, from the dirt up, I guess I'll put it that way, how, how does that inform what you're doing in your marketing position? I think it helps a lot. We've got a real well-rounded team here. We've got um, my boss who has opened up multiple marketing departments with casinos opening. So she's got a real good grasp of casinos and those type of gambling guests. We've got another partner who's, real good on the handicapping, like technical type side. And then I feel like I came in and we drew everybody together because I know the racing guest side. So we've got each little niche covered. And it is really nice to be able to walk out there and just talk to most of the fans or the trainers or the horsemen because I do know them personally. 
So when we have an event, I can walk up and be like, hey, Judy, you know, we've got this going on. I feel like it's something you might be interested in. And hang around for 10 more minutes. We're going to throw out T-shirts. So we've got a real well-rounded group here to kind of hit every little market. And my side of that would be the racing. So, uh, Natalie, it's, it's interesting. You know, uh, racing is, I don't want to call it more of a niche sport now, but it's, it's obviously doesn't have the broader appeal of baseball or football. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and in its niche, it, the devotees like myself are, are pretty hardcore. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what do you think the challenges and opportunities are for horse racing to, to attract the public's attention? That's something I've always wondered. How can we do that? How can we get people my age back in it, I guess, that aren't, that don't have a background? Like, how did I get into it? Well, because I love the horses, but you don't have to love the horses to like it. It's just, I think we need those justifies. We need those American Pharaohs. We need those Mike Smiths, people to latch onto them, to give them a story, something to kind of revive it and revive the interest. But I know that's just a couple months during the year. What do we do with the other nine and it's just I'm not quite sure what the answer is for all of that it might I just don't know I hope I figure it out one day and can implement (laughs) it and bring the sport back but it's something I've thought about for a long time and I just I just don't have the answer well it's uh it's interesting in many ways I think we all are aware that the sport has become you know, much more of a studio sport almost, right? That's simulcasting, uh, drives a lot of the revenue, et cetera. Uh, and, and one thing that I always wrestle with, um, and I'm curious what your answer is on this, is attendance at the track necessary to grow the sport or is it necessary just to give them an introduction to the sport and then let them go the studio route? Oh, that is a very good point. With technology, the way technology is going, I feel like you have to say it's not, a necessity to have them there for live racing. It makes the atmosphere more fun um, for everybody involved, but I think what it's are the point it's already at is obviously money driven. So I don't really care where the money's coming from. If it's coming from them at home on their phone, that's fine. As long as we can raise those purses and start getting a nice quality of horse and keep the races running because the TVs now are so good. It feels like you're almost there anyway. And I just, see like that's where it's going so as long as we keep bringing in that revenue and keep increasing it and bringing up the quality i feel like that would be all right you referenced the challenges of attracting millennials and i I think about that one a lot i remember taking my son-in-law years ago to the track for the first time it was actually the belmont stakes day that, that smarty jones ran and uh where you were on the train riding out to Belmont Park, and I had the racing form. I, I bought him a copy, and he said to me, so explain how all this works to me. And, uh, you know, I started out uh, maiden special weight <laughs> and then allowance, and I was maybe 45 seconds into the, the whole thing, and I saw his eyes kind of roll up in the back of his head. You know, the um, I, I think the information barrier is one that, when I think about millennials, is right. How do you take that information that, you know, people like me and, and, and you undoubtedly like to dive through and really dig out some nuggets, but how do you make it more easily digestible for them so that you can kind of, because we all kind of get into the sport in, in a in a 
unknowing way, right? We, we don't know a lot, and we mm-hmm. have a little bit of success at the track. Something mm-hmm. happens, and it's good. And then we start to, hey, I like that feeling. I want to dig in a little bit. Um, I, that feels to me like the biggest challenge is how do you relate information to millennials in a way that they can easily digest it, you know, maybe have some success, and then they can decide on their own, like, where do I go with this? Yeah. I always We have groups here, and we'll go in and speak to them real quickly on how to understand the program, kind of what's going on, where the jockeys come out of, and just real basic stuff. So I'll always just try and give them basics, the easiest stuff to read. You know, here's the trainer, here's how many he's won, here's the jockey, here's how many he's won, and then go down the left and they can see where the horse finished, how much it ran that last time. It's just I try not to go all the way into it, and it's hard not to do because you get so excited about it and you want to tell them about it, but... I just try and keep it at the basics enough so they can go make a $2 wager. And when they're still rolling their eyes back in their head because they don't get it, I just say, pick a name you like or <laughs> pick the pretty horse because the, sometimes that is going to work a whole lot better than me spending 30 minutes trying to analyze this because it's just however they can justify making their bet is how I make it easiest for them to do. Oh, I've, I've been with people that bet that way on days when I'm not having a good day, and it's very irritating, but I, I know what you mean. Because they win. <laughs> they do. And I'm like, I just spent 20 minutes trying to figure this out. That horse should not have won. And then here he goes, yep. because her mom's named Sally. She bet Sally, and then now Sally just paid 24.80, and I missed it. <laughs> so It happens. In Cincinnati, Natalie, you've got the you know the season you're running. You've got the the Reds, who are obviously a very popular attraction, and then the Bengals season is coming up. How do you, you know, what type of promotional things do you do to get people out to Belterra? You've got the casino now, which is obviously healthy. Mm-hmm. What are, what are some of the other things that you do to get people out there? Oh my gosh, we do a ton of stuff. We just wrapped up Family Fun Day, which is my favorite. Even though I don't really have a family, they have these cute little ponies so you can come ride the ponies like at the fair and this is all for free and they have a petting zoo they bring this little alpaca they have little like rabbits and ducks and stuff you can play with with people from the circus and magician face painter so we have those um the last sunday of every month in the summer which is my i don't normally volunteer to work weekends but that sunday i'm there and then we have park after dark for like an older crowd it's um Obviously, we have drink specials and a band. It's similar to uh, Churchill's Party After Dark or whatever they call it. So we have that, and there's just we have something going on every weekend, I feel like. So it's, there's always something for any age, as long as you can get on the Internet and look up what we have. We have Dog Days of Summer coming up, which we have wiener dog races. It just oh, doesn't wow. get any cuter than that. So <laughs> those little... They're going to be out there, and they'll probably be chasing me from chasing the wiener dogs, but they're just so cute. You can't help it. So we got a bunch of fun stuff going on, and then if you don't like any of that, you can just go in the casino and gamble. Well, I remember when I was talking to you about coming onto the podcast here, and I mentioned that uh, you know, in the time I lived in Cincinnati, the location, which was then River Downs, is now Belterra, was just, I thought, one of the most beautiful locations for a track that you can sit in the grandstand, you see the river across on the other side of the track and the Kentucky Hills. It's just a very uh, beautiful setting for the sport, I I thought. So um, I suppose you have that going for you as well, right? It is. It's real pretty. And we can get, we have a black and gold suite that like you can rent out for groups. And when you can get up there, there's 
offices up there as well. So I go up for the office offices, obviously. But looking out over that is it's really pretty. Yeah, it's kind of hard to. You just kind of have to take a second and look out over it, especially on a nice day. But then the storms come rolling in, and it's a little gloomy, but that's also a beautiful view, too, because you can see it coming from yeah. <laughs> ways away, and you know you got 10 minutes to get to your car before that rain hits. Before, so before the it's just a good down. view. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So And it rains a lot here. <laughs> it does, especially in the summertime. You get those, those thunderstorms, I know. Mm-hmm. Natalie, what do you think about sports betting and the impact on, on horse racing? How are you guys gearing up for that at, at Belterra. I hope we're getting ready to implement it, but that's something I'm just not quite sure where it's going. I don't, is it legal? I think it's only legal in New Jersey, isn't it? Well, I think New Jersey is the first state to implement, but I believe federally it's, it's legal now, but I, I, I'm guessing that a lot of jurisdictions were just caught off guard by it. You know, New Jersey had been pushing for it for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. So I think uh, I think they wanted it and they yeah, got it. And they got I it. think it's working out really well for them. I think so. it does too. Do you think it'll have a positive impact on wagering on the sport? Our sport. I, mean. I don't see how it would hurt it. It's just all technology based, and everybody wants to. They want to do it on their phone. They want to wager on this game, but while they're waiting to the baseball game, there's a horse or there's a race running at Belterra in two minutes, so you can still watch that game and then throw a couple bucks on this horse over here. So I feel like it'd be beneficial, but that's, I mean, that's how I feel about it, but I don't know a whole lot about it either. So for now, I think it sounds like a good idea. I would imagine it's going to be a coordinated effort, you know, between all your departments when, you know, whenever uh, you guys decide to implement it there. Because there's got to be some 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 benefits to, like you said, having people there at the casino and, you know, hey, play the races here and cross over. So, um, and we've got a sports bar, so you can sit there at the casino. You can run in and watch whatever game you're betting on on TV. And we've got the horse races going on in there as well. So you could sit there and gamble on a machine, bet on a game, and a race all within two minutes. So it could be a fun little environment. I'm going to have to get the ATM concession for that room. I think that's, that's pretty good. <laughs> we have one right outside the, we have one right outside the restaurant, so that's not a problem. Perfect. <laughs> We've all taken the walk of shame. We all know what that's like to go and uh-huh. have to get some more cash out. Natalie, what do you do in the downtime You know, when, when racing is not on at Belterra? We have casino promotions going on all the time. Every weekend we do gift giveaways, drawings, all sorts of fun stuff. So when the racing isn't going on, we just spend a little bit more time inside trying to do cold weather activities Okay, and give away some money. Sure. (laughs) And maybe build the fan base for the next racing season, right? Yep. They come in, they ask when does racing start again as soon as it ends. So (laughs) we tell them next year it'll be back. And we do a little virtual racing promotion. It's called My Racing. So that's a lot of fun. It kind of gives them a little taste of the racing, but it's right there on their game and they can gamble on it. So it's an indoor fun racing activity. Oh, that's great. Mm -hmm. All right. So Natalie, now we're going to get down to the really hard questions here though. You're down there in Cincinnati and I know a little bit about the town and I know how people feel about their side of town. So I'm going to put you on the spot here, which, which is best, the east side Mm -hmm. or the west side? Well, I can claim not my problem here because I live in Northern Kentucky. So 
I'm going to say Northern Kentucky is obviously my home, and Cincinnati is on the east, so I'm going to go with east. Okay, that's a good Northern <laughs> Kentucky. That's a good neutral answer too. Actually, that's very good. That's where I lived actually when I when I when I lived there. So I love it there. I used to make that same distinction to people as well. I don't take part in that that fight. Um, here's a little bit of a tougher one: Pete Rose, Hall of Fame, yes or no? I don't know anything about that. If it's not horse racing, quite honestly, I don't know much about it. So I know he's famous, and I think well, I'm going to claim ignorance on that one. I'm going to give you one last one that you can't claim ignorance about. you got to give me an answer here. Which is better, Skyline or Gold Star Chili? Uh, I grew up on Gold Star, and I actually ate there last night. So <laughs> I am 100% a Gold Star girl. There we go. Actually, I was too. That's a great answer. All right. So, um, Natalie, thank you very much for your time. You are always welcome back here. As a measure of my thanks, I do want to reach into my goodie grab bag of gift certificates here and award you with, let me go through here, here we go, a $25 gift certificate for Bill Knapp's Family Restaurant, home of the towering chocolate birthday cakes. So there you go, Natalie, all right? Oh, I do love chocolate, so thank you. <laughs> thank you very much, Natalie. We appreciate it, and we hope to talk to you again soon. All righty, thanks for having me, Bill. Take care. The Big Score. The guest or social media contributor tells us the story of a big score that they had at the track. Today, Scott Carson is going to tell us about his big score. Scott, go ahead. Hey, Bill. Thanks. So I've had a few big scores, and this one isn't even one of the biggest, but it's, uh, it's a fun one because of how I got to, uh, how I came about playing the horse. Uh, it was in the Manhattan in 2017, the Manhattan Handicap, at Belmont on Belmont Stakes Day, and there was a horse running there named Ascend. And Ascend w looked on the sheets like he was only a couple of lengths slower than the, the heavy favorite, whose name was Time Test. And he not only looked like he was uh, he, he was only a, like a couple of lengths slower, but he had a pattern that suggested that he was about to run the best race of his life. And this is my bread and butter in handicapping is finding horses that do this and capitalizing on them. So the horse was six to one morning line, but somehow drifted up to twenty seven to one, and it was only a six horse field. So really, no respect to ascend. Um, what made it great is that all day I was sitting in the stands in Belmont with a, a bunch of my friends. I, I have a group of 20 seats that I have every year. So I, I usually have a bunch of friends there and I had spent the whole day going from seat to seat, talking to my friends saying, you know, who do you like today? what's your bet of the day? And, um, I kept on telling all of them, I really like this horse ascent. And, I told everybody and was talking about it all day, and I bet 100 to win in place on him, and then $100, I think a $50 exact a box between him and the favorite. And it came in ascend and then the favorite. So it was a $10,000 score, and what made it all the sweeter is that I had been telling every one of my friends all day, this is the horse. This is the horse that I like the most all day. And, uh, and it was great. People were hugging me. Uh, and even though I've had, <laughs> I've made more money on a race than 10,000 before, that was probably the most rewarding because I had shared that experience, you know, shared my handicapping angle 
uh, with so many people. Well, that's a that's a great story, Scott. Uh, and I'll tell you why. Uh, it, it's a great story on its own. I'll tell you another reason why in a minute. But I can greatly sympathize it when you put something out in the public, especially a long shot like that, and it comes in the not only the the winning is great, but the sense of bragging rights is fantastic right yeah i picked that horse that was me <laughs> I, I i can tell you i liked that horse that day also now it, it's interesting because how you come at things at different angles you you saw a great sheet pattern there and i'm not a sheets uh user but what i saw was i watched i was I'll never forget i was watching the replays in my hotel room that morning and this horse exploded like a house on fire every time down the stretch the last three races and i thought if this horse gets any kind of pace, he's going to be rallying down the stretch like crazy. Well, you remember the race, I'm sure. They opened up the gate, and he's stalking the the pace like in fourth. And I and I had this kind of sick feeling, like, what is he doing here? You know. But then I kind of looked up at, at the time, and I was like, well, the pace is actually pretty slow. So I think it was Jose Ortiz that was on him. Um, yep. You know, he had recognized that the pace was a little slow, and and but like you, I had that great feeling when he. When he came down the center of the track, there, uh, that was, uh, yeah, terrific. yeah. No, I, I had exactly the same thought. I was concerned. I was like, "Wait, he's supposed to be a closer," <laughs> but he was right up there, and uh, you know, he was no more than like two or three lengths back the whole time. But you know, he was he was ready to win. Just, you know, different style. So, uh, in fact, I think that's the last race that he he, he won. He hasn't been around this year. Yeah, I, it is the last race he won because I put him on my my watch list, and he he was never able to get that going again for whatever reason in 2017. And I don't think he's been. I think you're right. I don't think he's been out in 2018 at all. So, um, yeah, so much. Listen. But you know, he gave us our thrill. Scott, this has been terrific. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. All right. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. Take care. So now we turn to our guest handicapper segment. Just to turn up the heat on this week's guest handicapper, I want to let him know that last week's handicapper, Matt Packard, correctly picked the winner of Saturday's first race at Belmont despite the surface wish to dirt. it. This week's guest handicapper just happens to be the person responsible for getting me into this mess in the first place. That is none other than my older, and I do mean older brother, none other than Neil Dunkleff Esquire. Neil, thanks for joining us, or should I say thanks for nothing. <laughs> Well, I'm really glad to be here, and I was thinking, uh, uh, as this w- was coming up about our first trip to the track at, at the Red Mile uh, many, many years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, someday we'll have to talk about Prince Philip and Noble M. Ellen. We will do that as well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Very good. All right, Neil. So what race have you selected? Run us through the field and tell us who you like and how you would bet the race. Well, uh, that's... That's good. The race I focus in on is the sixth race at Keeneland. It's a five and a half furlong turf sprint. Uh, it's a grade two race called the Woodford, named for Woodford County. Uh, in the interest of full disclosure, the horse I'm going to pick is related uh, to a horse in which I have an interest, but I think I would have settled on the horse I am going to recommend in any event. Okay. Um, it's, a, it's a grade two um sprint, as I said, and the field I don't think is particularly strong. The only horse that has uh, two buyers that exceed 100 is the um, four-horse uh, extravagant kid, and his buyers of 102 and 104 were recorded in March and April of this year. He has nothing since that breaks 100. None of the other horses have a uh, 
a buyer in 2018 that uh, exceeds 100. So I think Extravagant Kid is a contender. I think Holding Gold uh, is a contender for um, some of the same reasons why I like the horse I'm picking, which is Buchero, B-U-C-H-E-R-R-O, the two horse. Okay. Um, what do you like here? So, well, well, Buchero was um, in the 2017 Breeders' Cup turf sprint, and he finished fourth by one length, and he got blocked in the stretch of that race. He had, um, I'm going to read the, um, the wrong line here uh, from the Breeders' Cup spread. He had locked room at the eighth pole. He was edged for third. So, well, I, I see a horse doing that. I mean, they're, they're really ready to run, and they've just got no place to go. Uh, and, and despite that, he finished uh, fourth, but only a length off of the winner. Um, Holding Gold uh, was in that same race, the five horse. Uh, he finished a length and three quarters back, and he made a huge surge uh, coming from the back of the pack to finish um, just a bit behind Buchero. But um, I think is more of a horse the course because he won this same event at Keeneland last year, and I love the running line here. Mm. It says that he reeled in his foe and cleared the field. So uh, I think there's a bit of a horse-for-course angle there. Um, he's been in the money, 19 of 29 starts. He's run very well in two grade ones this year. This is certainly not a grade one field. So uh, I, I think he has um, a, a very good chance. And I think he might be overlooked because his overlooked a bit, I should say, because his last two races have not been his best races, but he's been ridden by uh, Joe Bravo and uh, who, I think it's Julio Ortiz, um, neither of whom are his regular jockey. His regular jockey is Fernando De La Cruz, yep. who's been on him almost every other race uh, and done really well with him, but in the last two races, he ran into... Um, uh, some bad racing luck uh, in his last start in a turf three at uh, uh, Parks. And then he shipped to Ascot um, for grade one and ran fourth, um, I'm sorry, ran fifth by four lengths. Um, said he settled in mid pack, but was never. That's right. He was carrying 130 pounds in that race and was carrying 120 in the race on Saturday. So. Those are things I like, but mainly I, I like the horse for course angle, and I think his, he's had a bit of bad racing luck, so I think with his regular jockey back on him, he's got a better chance to run his race than he's had in his last couple of starts. So, well, that's my thinking on him. Well, I would say there's not a person among us that couldn't stand to drop 10 pounds, so that, I think, is in his favor. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, You know, I personally, uh, I, it's interesting you picked this one. I personally am a big favorite of horses who won the same race last year because one thing I think that handicappers tend to overlook is horses are creatures of habit, and it may very well be that he just happens to like Keeneland, and he thrives there. Uh, and, and I would say... That last field that he ran into at Parks was a very good field, led by pure sensation. He got bounced around a little bit, it looks like, in the turn. So uh, yeah, I don't know if we're going to get 26 to 1 like we did last year, but I wouldn't be surprised at 10 or 12 to 1 either. No, I, I think he could be overlooked. I think he's much better than that, and I think he matches up 
much better with the field. But I think his last two could be uh, a little misleading uh, if you don't dig a little deeper. Um, he is by Camparos, and uh, I own a Philly. Uh, I have a fifth of a Philly uh, by Camparos, and uh, so I've been paying a lot of attention to him. His, his, his turf sprinters have been amazing and only getting better. He uh, turf sprinter won yesterday. I watched that race. Uh, they, they're just runners. So uh, well, this horse is a little older. He's six years old. Uh, you know, he's won over eight hundred thousand dollars. He's as, as I said, he's been in money two thirds of the time he's run at at a high level of racing. Um, he's a good sprinter. He's uh, Cantaros has definitely been a prolific sire. And as soon as you mentioned you had an interest in a relative of the horse that you were selecting, I started looking for Cantaros' horse. So, <laughs> no, he's been uh, he has actually been okay. a, a very good sire. And uh, no, that's a great pick. So thanks, Neil. We will uh, monitor the results, and we will um, we will keep score if you lose, and we will brush the uh, uh, results aside if you win. All right, that's the way we work here. So. <laughs> Thanks very much. <laughs> Bill, if you can use it, let me say a word about how I'm going to bet him. Okay, uh, sure. In the last couple of months, I've, I, I've bet horses across the board, and, and the place bets and the show bets are just straight bets, whatever it is, $5, $10, whatever. But the win bet, I have taken to um, making my win bet, in effect, a, a, a 50-cent try ticket, and I'll pick. The horse I like, which in this case would be Buchero, as a single on top of a 50-cent try ticket. And I'll put five or six horses underneath, depending on what I think the strength of the field is or how unpredictable the strength of the field is. So if this horse wins, I have a good chance of capturing the exotic as my win bet instead of just you know six, six or seven to one. Uh, and, I, and I back it up with the straight bets on the place and show and you know when it hits you feel like a genius <laughs> um so i would i would put him on top of my ten dollar um uh try wheel and then i'd put five horses underneath um five times four is 20 times 0.5 i like your thinking there if you can catch some lightning in a bottle you're gonna you and I have talked before many times. The trifecta, I think, is actually the most profitable exotic in terms of the multiplier uh, for being correct um, and, and and getting some price horses in underneath. There's no doubt. There's there's no doubt yeah. in my mind about that. All right. Well, Neil, we're gonna follow your results. We'll see how you do, and we'll report back next week. Okay. Thanks, brother. I'll talk to you. Well, thanks, Neil, and thanks again to all of our guests this week. Don't forget to visit us and give us feedback on our Can Do Facebook page or our Twitter account or at CanDoBillD, C-A-N-D-O-B-I-L-L-D, at gmail.com. Don't be shy about telling us your big score story either. We'd love to share it on the air. Join us next week when Scott Carson will tell us more about his life and experiences in our glorious game and Jamie Michelson, also a successful handicapping contest regular, will join us as the guest handicapper. And, of course, we'll have another big score story. Until next week, may the horse be with you.